0: The board game Monopoly is, from a game mechanics perspective, an awful game. Think about it, the first quarter of the game is dependent on chance, which is fine, most board games have a chance element, but after that, those who got lucky initially will be able to turn their gains into more gains. From property, to houses, to collecting rent, to apartments, to hotels, to building more houses and collecting more rent, and on it goes money begets more money. As a result, the latter three quarters of the game is essentially watching one player win, which isn't fun at all for the other players. Those who got lucky in the beginning will keep winning. Those who did not get lucky stay in the have not category and struggle to catch up and more often than not gets poorer and poorer. It's almost like Monopoly isn't really meant to be a game. And that's because it isn't. The inventor of Monopoly's predecessor, the landlord's game, Elizabeth J. Phillips, or Lizzie McGee, designed the game to show the faults of capitalism and the evils of monopoly. The game was meant to be more instructive than fun for everyone. She was a progressive thinker whose idea was basically stolen and defiled by some mediocre man and turned into a terrible board game. Poverty is one of those fundamental factors that impacts every other aspect of life. Like what Monopoly demonstrates, our society is often not kind to those without the proper resources. Instead of helping, we prioritize taking more things away from them. Instead of highlighting that aspect, Monopoly became a game that is all about taking everything and winning. This is Everything is Public Health, a show about all the invisible and ubiquitous forces that impacts the health of the population. Today's topic, a brief look into how poverty is defined and what it does to people.
1: Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm Cass.
0: And I'm MJ. One of the behind-the-scenes changes that I wanted to do for this show for 2022, the new year, is to plan out the episodes more in like up to 10 or 15 episodes ahead previously, I or we, would decide on what to record, I think, a week or two before, which is fine. Sometimes
1: the morning of.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the morning of, which is fine. But planning things further ahead give us a better view of how to coherently present all these, like, different topics of public health.
1: How to weave the threads. Yeah,
0: Weave the threads, yeah. And as I was planning these episodes, it became very clear to me that there are some topics that we want to cover first before we cover other topics.
1: Right. So sometimes there are topics that build off of each other Mm -hmm. and some things are so fundamental to understanding public health and it can have such a big impact on things downstream that in order for us to really have a good conversation for listeners who are learning about public health, yay, Yay. through our podcast, (laughs) right? There's some foundational concepts that we really want to lay out to tee up later episodes.
0: One example is housing. Like we talked briefly about housing first because, you know, without proper housing and shelter and a physical address, there's really not much you can do. So that's one example.
1: Right. You know, think back to Maslow's hierarchy, Right. right? Like you need to be safe and secure and have food and water in these pieces. Otherwise, you can't move up to the next level of you know, self-actualization. Right. And we've talked a little bit about sort of healthcare being a right and those pieces. But in order to talk about sort of healthcare and access, we really needed to talk about all the different ways people can be uninsured, underinsured, et cetera, right? So like those those episodes kind of build off of each other.
0: Yeah. And another one of those forces that is just so fundamental to our health is poverty. And we live in a capitalistic society where money is the highest virtue right? And if you don't have money, everything becomes impossible. And I'm very fortunate to have never experienced any form of poverty. My parents are comfortably middle class, like sure, we didn't get everything that we wanted, but I never have to worry about the basics. And I don't want to be presumptuous. So I will ask you instead, have you experienced like any hardships growing up?
1: I wouldn't say necessarily hardships, but as we've talked about before, you know, I was raised by a single parent. He had a good job working at Boeing, but there are a lot of challenges when you have kids and you're working on your own, are on a single income, and you are raising kids on your own. Like, even with a good job, you can still have challenges associated with that. So, we never were sort of in a situation of poverty ourselves, but my dad, when he was younger, you know, he he served in the army right as the Vietnam War was winding down and then coming out of the military, not really knowing what to do next. He had used some social services, food stamps, etc. that really helped him be positioned to be successful. So, you know, we have had that experience in our past. My dad had that experience in his past. Thankfully, we were never um, sort of dealing with any of those kinds of issues.
0: So a little bit of struggle, but nothing that you would categorize as like poverty or hardship, right? Oh,
1: no, I wouldn't even necessarily... I mean, being raised by a single parent right. is challenging and you know everything is relative, right? So I've learned... In my many years, uh, that just because, you know, I have different life experiences and things like it, I don't need to minimize my issues, right? Everything is relative. But I would say I still had a very privileged life being a white woman growing up in a suburban area that was very safe, my dad had a good, mm-hmm. steady job. Like, yes, we had some bad things happen in our lives, but like no hardships that could compare to some of the things that other folks are dealing with.
0: Yeah. I think same here uh, where obviously there are issues come up and I think that's, that's true for everyone. Like issues come up, but uh, nothing that I would characterize as hardship. And I suspect that many listeners like me and us, like us, I don't know why I said me and us. I suspect that many listeners <laughs> like us,
1: <laughs> me and us.
0: I suspect that many listeners like us, they never really experienced true poverty. In this episode, we want to discuss what poverty is and why a part of public health is also about eliminating poverty and inequality. First, let's look at poverty from the numbers. Cass, what is your opinion about the federal poverty level? If you have any, and if it's too spicy, we will save it.
1: (laughs) I'll share my mild version of my opinion of the federal poverty level. Uh, it is abysmally low. Yeah. Right. So I'm not to go into any of the details. I'll just share, you know, the level that we have for the poverty level, whether it's an individual or a family. Like it is absurd to think that people can have like a healthy and functional and safe and stable life with the the poverty level i mean it's just it's embarrassingly low and the fact that it is so low i think as a reflection of our priorities as a country and that they're not focused on the right things
0: yeah so the federal poverty level is supposedly and that's in huge air quotes supposedly the cost needed by the average person to cover basic necessities. Now, this is already problematic because there is a wild, and I mean absolutely wild, variation in the cost of living in different geographic areas.
1: Oh, for sure. So, you know, thinking about my time as a sort of right out of undergrad and then early in my grad student times, I lived, um, so when I was in Ellensburg, Washington, sort of a rural part of Washington State, I lived in a huge apartment, huge, I mean- it was ginormous. Describe. And my roommate and I, our total rent was $600 for an apartment (laughs) that is probably like, I don't think I'm exaggerating that it is like the first floor of my current house. That was how large my apartment was at the, it was, it was huge,
0: huge.
1: $600. Right. So then I moved (laughs) to Baltimore. I was living in like a, 700 square foot so probably Very small. a third of the size of the apartment that i was living in and i was paying 900 dollars a month for something that was a third of the size so like that and that's just that's just rent right right and okay you know people are going to say well uh, you were living in a rural area now you're living in an urban area so of course the costs are going to be different yeah right except the federal poverty level doesn't, doesn't change, change depending <laughs> on where you live
0: Exactly. And so, yeah, like this is a federal poverty level and it's not adjusted to geography. And secondly, and this is a bit oversimplifying, but the federal poverty level is adjusted slightly every year and only slightly, meaning that essentially it only accounts for inflation. There hasn't been any sort of major adjustments uh, to the federal poverty level.
1: And I think this is reflective of a concept that's come up in a whole bunch of our prior episodes that if an individual doesn't have what they need or can't make good life choices or, you know, for food or for whatever it is, it's because they have some character flaw. They have some moral failing. And so why should we as a society give them more or like give them services when obviously like they just need to work harder? which is so so wrong it's so um, and people up. talk about oh equality of opportunity everybody gets a free education blah 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 that
0: is blah. right <laughs>
1: but, you know if you think about a child who's born in you know east baltimore for example not to throw shade at baltimore it's a it's, it can be a great place but just thinking about the levels of violence the level of concentrated disadvantage and lack of economic opportunities all the sort of structural issues that exist in baltimore city that child just does not have the same opportunity as a kid born in Annapolis, which is not that far away, but it's a very different... The investment in the city, the investment in the people in the community is very different. It was done strategically to continue to oppress the populations that we have always oppressed in our country.
0: Yeah. So now some numbers. Cass, will you do the honors?
1: Yeah. So in 2021... The federal poverty level for an individual was twelve thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars, less than thirteen thousand dollars. Which, like, if you think about resources, you think about rent, mm-hmm. right? That that thirteen thousand dollars, right? Like, that goes really fast. Yeah. And as you said, the it's it's only adjusted very slightly. So, um, the year before in twenty twenty, it was twelve thousand seven hundred and sixty dollars, right? So that's a hundred and twenty dollar bump. If you look back to 10 years ago in 2011, then it was $10,890. So even though we know inflation is increasing rapidly and there's supply chain issues, so that cost of living is substantially more expensive now than it was in 2011, it was... About two thousand dollar increase over a ten year span.
0: A decade, a decade, two thousand dollars increase over a decade. If you work that out, I'm pretty sure that doesn't even beat inflation. Um, and thirdly, Cass, you are a parent. Yes. Uh, can you provide some insight to me, who is not a parent, about how much money raising a kid costs?
1: Oh my gosh, kids are so expensive. <laughs> so right now, our kids. You know, their Tony will be sixteen soon, and Aaron uh, is fourteen. And, you know, so they're going to hate me for saying this, but they're like hardcore puberty right now, which means they're growing (laughs) like weeds and consuming so much food. My grocery bill right (laughs) now is crazy. You've never heard that growing like a weed? No. (laughs) Oh, anyway. But like, you know, it's not just food and clothes, obviously, which are important. But they use electricity, they use water, you know, we need internet, they need cell phones so that we can track them, you know, when they go to school or if there's an issue with the bus, they can call us. It it adds up. It is very expensive. And then thinking about cost of college, right? Oh if they're going to go yeah. to college, holy cow, it's not cheap to have kids. So yeah, it's, a, it's expensive. Love my kids though. <laughs>
0: So, as you mentioned, for a single person, the federal poverty level in 2021 is $12,880. If you have another person in your family, that gets bumped up to, drumroll please,
1: da. that was a really bad drum roll.
0: a grand total of $17,420. In other words, another person is worth only around $5,000. For a family of four, the federal poverty level is only $26,500. For four people, meaning that Essentially, if you get another member in your family, it doesn't double. It less than it less than double. Yeah, it less than doubles per an extra person in your family.
1: Of course, the anticipated argument here is, well, you know, you're all living in the same place. You don't need extra money for rent. It's like, well, four people aren't living in a one bedroom apartment, right? No. Like you yeah. need you need more space. You need at least two bedrooms. And sure, there's more money there for rent if you're a family of four, but then you also have four times more mouths to feed, right? Like the amount of increase for additional household members really doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, abysmal. And not only that, the federal poverty level is sort of like the minimum. The standards for the federal poverty level is so low that you can't draw a line and be like everyone on this side is experiencing poverty and everyone on that side is not experiencing poverty.
1: It should be thought of more as a spectrum, right? But to your other point, like this is the minimum to survive not thrive not to thrive and do well and and be creative and be thoughtful and whatever it is yeah.
0: forget about being healthy
1: right? you need this much money simply to be alive and survive which like yay that's a great approach to take
0: yeah and uh, certainly you can make more than the federal poverty level and still struggle immensely
1: oh absolutely because going back to the earlier comment cost of living varies wildly there may be places where You could live on, you know, just under $13,000 if you were frugal. okay. but there are other places that's you could not possibly survive.
0: And uh, the sad thing is, even given how low the federal poverty level is, the official poverty rate in 2020. So that last year,
1: technically two years ago, 2020 was, you know, that's we're in 2022 now.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. You're absolutely correct. The official poverty rate in 2020, two years ago is around 11%. Okay, so let that sink in. That's one in 10 Americans live in poverty and even more struggle, right? This is a very big issue.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, thinking about why we're talking about the federal poverty level is often you have to be below or within a certain sort of margin of error of the poverty level to get social services. So thinking about SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which used to be called Food Stamps, temporary assistance for needy families those kinds of things you have to be sort of around that level to get that help and to your comment earlier MJ like if you make let's just say you know $15,000 right like you make too much to potentially qualify for services obviously there's there's some variation so let's just assume for the moment that you're outside the margin and you you make too much but i think many folks would argue you're still not thriving
0: So we're going to pivot to the effects of poverty now, and we'll try to paint a picture to the best of our ability, like what poverty does to our health. If you don't have enough money, it impacts pretty much every decision that you have to make. So let's start with where we started this podcast, start with food. If you don't have a lot of money, what sort of food are you buying, right? You're not buying anything healthy, I imagine, because healthy foods, for some reason, just tends to cost more. So you're buying those calorie-dense Super cheap. Uh, a lot of times, people buy candy because candy it gives an illusion that it's filling you up and you're you're satiated, but obviously it's not healthy.
1: Well, and these prepackaged foods often are high in sodium, that can lead yes. to other issues. They are calorie dense but nutrient poor. You're eating them, but you're not meeting your needs. You're not getting the right things, and so this we sort of see the paradox of people who are undernourished but overweight because they're not able to afford the more nutritious foods and they're relying on these prepackaged calorie-dense foods that aren't providing appropriate nutrients.
0: Yeah, they're getting just calories, essentially, and without any of the benefits. And housing, too. If you don't have a lot of money, where are going to live, right? You're going to... I can't even imagine the places that is only available to you if you don't have a lot of income.
1: Well, and you have the added issue of many sort of public housing authorities and sort of the people who issue different vouchers. If you have a history of drug use, even suspected drug use, not necessarily a conviction, you can be barred from getting federal housing assistance. So then that further complicates the issue. So even if you are eligible for services based on your income, you might not be eligible because the way we've written our housing policies related to drugs, right? And sort of further stigmatizing people who may have a substance use disorder.
0: Yeah. And then Oftentimes, you hear the argument like, "Well, just just find a job," and it's like, "Okay, well, how are they going to get to that job, right?" If if you experience poverty, I'm sh- I'm sure you have struggled with transportation, right? And I'm sure you may have struggles with perhaps buying clothes that not necessarily impress, right? But you people judge each other's by their looks, right? So if you don't have money, like people are going to judge you by the clothes you wear, and that's just first of all sad, but also like you know, it it makes job seeking so difficult. Right. You, it's hard for even for you to turn around your life if you don't even have the, the basic necessities to sort of get a footing.
1: Right. And, you know, again, thinking back to Maslow's hierarchy, if you are experiencing poverty and you aren't able to sort of routinely get healthy, nutritious foods, you might not have stable housing, you can't show up as your best self like I have stable housing, I have a good job, I have good food, I have, you know, a good social network, and I still have a hard time showing up as my best self a lot of days. Like you add these stresses related to poverty and and other sort of resource issues, and you just, there's no way that we could reasonably expect people to show up as their best selves every day when they don't have the capacity to meet their basic needs because of the way we've structured the system. These are choices that we have made with policies and resource allocation and prioritizing capitalistic values. Oh, whoops, I'm starting to sound like a socialist. James. <laughs> hopefully James doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we, we've created these structures and then we wonder, well, why aren't you successful? Well, because you've boxed them out of success by putting these structures in place.
0: Yeah. When you're experiencing poverty, sometimes you don't even get the option to turn your life around just because of how the system works and just just because how little options or opportunities that you have access to. And there are several studies that show that the human mind operates very differently under poverty conditions. And when we are under stress, it is difficult for us to make good decisions about the future, right? So a lot of times I see these, uh, what, oh, do you know, uh, evicted the book, yeah. in the book, there was this chapter where he talks about how this, this woman, I think it's a woman uh, undergoing poverty, how one day she just took her, I don't know if it was food stamps or something, but she just took her assistance and just bought a lobster dinner and she blew like half of her uh, assistance for that month on one lobster dinner. And then the author was at first very furious. is like, oh my God, like, why are you doing this? But then he thought about it in another frame, which is how often do we blow things on things that we technically don't need? Yeah. I do that all the time a little, I'm, I'm a little shameful for how much, how often I do that, but like, why are we, it's almost not fair to sort of judge these people and their actions because, you know, they're they're under so much stress from poverty that you think differently. Well,
1: and we would we do the exact same thing. Yeah. And then we judge them for those choices. And one thing that you were commenting on that a thought that popped in my mind. So one of the programs that exists in Baltimore City is Safe Streets. It's based yes. on the cure violence model. Mm-hmm. And we talk with these workers. And we had done some interviews with them and we continually kept hearing how these young guys, you know, they didn't know where they were going to sleep. That night, they didn't know when they were going to get their next meal. And so, of course, they were going to do armed robberies. And of course, they were going to do these stick-up jobs and different things because... You have no other option. How else yeah. will they get money to eat? Yeah. How else will they you know, have these these other securities that they, they don't have otherwise? And we expect people to make what we would think of as a rational choice yeah. when they are in an irrational situation.
0: Yeah. And then there's America also has a tendency to blame... The Individual, right? And I, I texted you about this, like a rant that I had. Like, there was, yes. I have a neighborhood. <laughs> yes, Facebook you're page. package
1: thieves. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, in our neighborhood, package theft occurs every day. And I'm not, I'm not like exaggerating when I say every day. Every day, someone posts like their package gets stolen, right? It's it's a very pervasive problem. And there was this one post on the Facebook page that was just like, you guys are just being stupid. You guys just need to deliver your package to somewhere else. You guys just need to like buy these like pa- packages lockbox like I have, and then you guys could stop complaining about this issue. And that really triggered me because... It's another example of how America and Americans have this perverse tendency to focus and blame the individual. Like, you're not doing this, and therefore, it's your problem. And I was like, this is the same argument that they use for for sexual assaults, right?
1: It's the same argument we use for everything.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, she was being stupid. Why is she walking alone at night? Or why is she dressed like that? I was like, why can't she walk alone at night, right? Right,
1: (laughs) Except, like, sexual assault is not something that happened for the first time in the last 20 years, right? Like, oh, you're walking at night in an area looking at your phone, not paying attention. No, there has been sexual assault since there were people, right? So, like, this is not, a, it's not a new thing. It's not because somebody was wearing a particular set of clothing or or engaged in a particular activity or doing a different thing. Like, people are going to sexually assault people because they have an issue, not because the victim, you know, or survivor did something that they, they shouldn't have done. And this is just, a frustration I have with so many arguments around like sort of individual blame versus individual success. So we we blame people for the situations that they're in. Well they need to work harder, they need to do X, they need to do Y, ignoring the structures that may have sort of held them back from doing those things. But then those same people will credit all of their own success to their individual mm. <laughs> awesomeness and also then ignore all of the structures that were in place to help them be successful, right? Growing up in a, a predominantly white middle-income suburb certainly set me up to be more successful than had I been born somewhere else. Having a, an educated dad who, you know, valued college and made sure that I had the resources to go.
0: Big difference. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Like we were in a situation where I, I was set up for success. There are challenges I face, obviously, as a woman. But I was set up for success and we don't acknowledge the people that we stand on for our success, right? We, we like to assume that we did everything our, on our own, which is then why we blame other people for their individual failings. Okay, whew, I'm going <laughs> to take it down a notch. This is
0: called the fundamental attribution errors for psych and social majors out there. Yes. And this is the same thing with poverty. Like, we place this undue burden about people experiencing this. Like, oh, you just need to save better. Or you just need to, like, turn your life around by, you know, e- there's so many things that you can do to, like, get get a job. And again, like, yes, but also no, right? Like, there are so many forces and factors that are just denying them those opportunities. And anyway, join us on Monday for okay. public health plus the show after the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so join us on Monday for public health plus the show after the show where we always talk about these topics with a little bit more zest and spice and and uh, a little bit more fiery opinions. So make sure you join us.
0: Yeah, we will continue to the escalation there <laughs> of our takes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word about the show so more and more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health.
1: New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth.
0: Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Also, reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Grafasi. And if you want to see some cute pictures of my dog, Penny, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD.
0: Please also give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us immensely. If you want to support the show directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link for that in the episode description below.
1: And remember, everything is public health.
0: Everything is public health.